Hello and welcome to The Codec Call, the CodecMoments.com podcast. I'm Andy Brown, at ClinicalAndy on Twitter, and I'm going to be joined this time by three members of the team and a very special guest. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us as you listen to The Codec Call today, you can tweet us using the hashtag SurvivalSchool to at CodecMoments. Games often use situations of unanticipated peril for the protagonist as the basis for the action about to unfold, but how realistic is that? If you were thrust into an emergency situation with little or no warning, let alone preparation, would you be able to survive on your wits alone? More importantly, have the games you've played taught you anything about survival? We decided to pose this question to three members of the Codec Moments team, so with me today are Roger Havens, at Afro underscore gear. Hello. Roger, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name's Roger. I am from the United States, and uh, I'm going to be sharing some of my ideas with you guys today, I guess. So, um, I am a insurance adjuster here for auto and home, so I deal with a lot of car accidents and uh, natural disasters. So, it's uh, you get a good idea of uh, when stuff goes bad, it can really go bad. I've spent the last 10 years playing a lot of games, watching a lot of movies. I've done more games than I probably have done reading, so we'll hope that video games have done something to increase my odds of survival if and when something were to happen, so... Other than that, I like the outdoors, camping, boating, and uh, when I'm not outdoors, I'm glued to my computer or my console. You're a juxtaposition, Roger. You're you're an outdoorsman and you're a gamer. I know. It's a medium that uh, it's hard to balance, but it's, I think it's the best balance possible. I'm not all one or the other. I, I can enjoy multiple things. So. Do you think this is going to give you an advantage today? Definitely. I plan on winning this challenge. Fighting talk. I love it. Yes! <laughs> Okay, so we've also got Sev Scott, at Seven Scott. Hello. And why don't you give us a little bit of information about yourself, Scott. That's uh, Sev. Scott. <laughs> Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. That's terrible. That'd be like you calling me Brown all day. <laughs> Brown. Yeah. That'd be like being back at school. So, Sev, give us a little bit of information about yourself. What skills are you bringing to the party here? Well, none, basically. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a writer. I operate out of uh, sunny Berkshire. Well, I'm always vigilant about not getting paper cuts, if that's uh, worth anything. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. <sighs> okay. And last, but by no means least, we have Graham Watkinson, at tech underscore father. Hi, I'm Graham Watkinson. As you can tell, I'm uh, from the UK, not Australia, for all those uh, Americans listening. And Graham, tell us a bit about yourself. Oh Well, uh, I am 34 years of age. I've been married for 10 years next month. Uh, and have three young children, so I think I'm well versed in the uh, the scenario that has uh, been given to me. So bringing up three kids on the mean streets of Saffron Walden has got you well versed in survival tactics. Yes, yeah. I mean it's uh, it's it's tough in leafy Saffron Walden. I mean there's it's a it's a nice market town and there's uh, some hoodies about, but uh, apart from that, it's okay. Also joining the team today, we have our special guest from the Survival School. It's Johnny Crockett at Survival Courses. Hello, hi. It's a pleasure to be here. Johnny, tell us about your background and the survival school. Well, I started survival school in 1997. This was sort of pre-common internet days, so uh, I didn't really know what anybody else was doing in the UK, but I decided that in the southwest, which is where I come from, I decided that uh, that was the sort of thing that I wanted to do. And we started just by using Forestry Commission land and then moved on to, to use a a parkland called Escott, uh, which is between Exeter and Honiton. 
from there, we went to open up schools in Scotland. In fact, we had two schools, one right up in the northwest of Scotland, one in the southwest of Scotland. And then we had a second uh, England-based uh, school, which is uh, still going strong in Staffordshire. Before I set survival school up, I was a I was a Royal Marines officer at one point. I've also been an army officer. I've worked in the city. Uh, I've done a whole load of different things. But um, perhaps my my biggest love actually is just travelling to far away far away lands, whether it be sort of Canada or Tanzania, Borneo or Sweden, which is where I go a lot at the moment. So uh, that's that's me really in a nutshell. Got one question, and I hope I don't upset you, but it is it's an important one for me. <laughs> I can guess. Go Did on. you change your name to Johnny Crockett, or is it a case of nominative <laughs> determinism? Um, yeah, well, the answer to that is yes and no. I was I, I was christened Jonathan, but uh, Crockett is my real surname. Um, I've been I've been called Johnny for years and years and years, longer than I can remember. So yes, it is my real name, but it, I, I, I see where you're coming from. It it does fit, doesn't it? It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Right, so guys. Johnny's going to read each of you a scenario, and you're going to respond with what you might do to survive it. All the scenarios are based on real-life examples, and there's no right or wrong answer. Though, Johnny will be critiquing your efforts and telling us if you're likely to survive to join us on the next codec call. We'll do Rogers first. You are driving from Canada to Nevada. You drive up over the hills and into the mountains. Your sat-nav leads you down an ambiguous road. Nobody knows which route you have taken, but you are expected at a hotel in Las Vegas. It is March and there is snow everywhere. Your car becomes trapped in a snowdrift. Your travelling companion heads off for help and is never seen again. You have only packed a small amount of food as you assumed that you'd be staying in a motel that night. What would you do? Very interesting. Um, Now there's a lot of variables which I will have to just make um, decisions on. My first thought that comes to mind if I was in that exact situation is, you know, whereabouts in the country am I? Obviously, this road is somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, so the chances of someone driving by, I'd say, are fairly slim. My next question would be, how long am I going to be out here? If I knew I was fairly close to civilization, my thoughts and plans might be a little different, but knowing that I could be out here for an undiscernible amount of time, I'd have to really reserve or conserve, I should say, my resources. Food, I only have a little bit of food, but I can survive without food for a fair amount of time. Water would be the main concern. So the resources I'd have in my vehicle, besides my companion, would be basic clothing, uh, maybe some sort of containers for food, jugs or Tupperwares, which could be very handy for for getting water, which I'll get to later. So I'd take a, a list of everything that I had. An easy thing people would do is like, well, it's wintertime, it's cold, I probably should start up the car, but my first concern is that, you know, a classic thing in a movie, you go off the ditch, but if your tailgate is in, or if your uh, exhaust is stuck in the snow, you're going to suffocate yourself in your car, you know, in an hour and you'll be dead. I'd have to make sure the rear end of the car is open and free, so no exhaust gets stuck in the car. But just running the car to keep the heat on is also going to run out of gas in like a day or two. And then you'll have no heat, no gas, no nothing. Rather than doing that, I would try to find a way to take the gas from the vehicle, store it in in a container that I might find, basically something where I can start a fire. I know the car has a cigarette lighter, so I've got a source of flame right there. As long as that battery lasts, which would be quite a while, I would have access to a spark. Um, With the fuel, with any wood or items I could find, I should be able to get a fire. 
I might be able to melt down some water from snow inside of like a jug or a, a bowl that I find, assuming I have something like that in the car. Uh, I think the first mistake they did is um, the companion headed off. That could work if you knew there was like a building down the road a mile, but if there wasn't, that guy's just going off to die and then he's got nothing. So I think we should stick together. Even for the very least is we have the possibility of body warmth. So if we're in a car, two bodies are going to be a heck of a lot more heat than just one. But then comes the question, how long do you hold out? You could maintain that for a week, maybe, if you can manage to keep getting fuel out of the tank. But then what? Do you wait there for someone to come find you? I guess what I would do, based on everything I can think of, and uh, God knows I've played hundreds of hours of Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas. I have Platinums on both of those games. And Fallout New Vegas to, comes to the forefront of my mind because they introduced survival mode. Survival mode, or hardcore mode, I should say. Hardcore mode is literally ridiculous. I don't know if you've ever played it. What it does is you have to maintain how much food you eat, how much water you drink, how often you sleep. If you break a bone, you can't heal it by resting. You, you've got to go to a doctor, use a special kit for it. So it really brings a lot of new techniques and uh, strategy to gameplay. Well, that's helped reinforce what I already know and to kind of bring survival a little bit more to the forefront, so to speak. So it's given me some ideas, but eventually holding up in that car for too long on the side of the road in the middle of the wilderness is not going to work for you because eventually you're going to starve yourself out. You're going to run out of gas. You're going to run out of water. So I would probably, <laughs> assuming it's a rental car and not mine, <laughs> I would... Um, Probably break into the oil pan if I could. If I had a tool, I don't know. Maybe not possible. If I could, I would take the oil out of the car and soak my clothes, any luggage I had, because that would create a lot of smoke. I'd, I'd get as much access to that as possible, maybe the tires, but ultimately probably setting the vehicle on fire. You know, the fuel might go stale after a few days anyways, after I've opened up the tank, so it might not even be flammable. But if I could get the vehicle burning after a certain amount of time, I would try to light it on fire just to create as much smoke as possible. Assuming someone were to see it, there's a hope we'd be saved. And if not, I guess my last resort would just be to me and my partner just to try to go off together and just walk together with whatever supplies we have left. Don't stop until we freeze or get rescued. So. How would you know which way to go? The way I came. I mean, look, I'm using a GPS, right? So chances are I have a fairly good idea of what was behind me and what's coming up ahead. So... The chances that I were to be in a situation where I'm far from everything, you know, are clearly possible, but I take the path of, of least resistance. If I'm at the base of a mountain, I'm not going to hike up to the summit because that's a waste of time, right? vice versa. So, yeah, I head the path of least resistance, the path of best odds. But then again, my first question is, if I'm driving on a road in the wintertime, that means that it's been maintained which means some government or city is paying to have someone plow the road, which means it's fairly likely someone would uh, come out there without too long, you know. But who knows? Assuming that doesn't happen, I would head back the way I came. I, I get the feeling I'm going to want to be stuck with you in a situation. <laughs> uh, hopefully, I don't know. I'd rather not be in that situation, but it would be a challenge, you know. Briefly, back to Fallout. That's one of the things that drew me into that game so strongly is just the sense of exploration. It's hard to think if you were really in a, an apocalypse, you know, how you would respond. But if you had the chance to just have the world, basically, you're your own guide. You walk through, you can find supplies, you have to strategize. 
that excites me. So being put in a situation such as this this uh, car crash where I'm trapped, it's exciting because it's a, it's an opportunity. When uh, I run out of supplies and I'm freezing to death by a little fire, then yeah, probably not so much fun, but at least I had an experience out of it. So Johnny, that's Roger's response. What did you make of it? Well, with Roger, I think we have a little bit of a ringer here. Roger spoke with some prior planning almost. He does have the big advantage of, we're we're talking about his home territory here, so he knows it probably better than the other guys know about their scenarios. He's absolutely right. There are certain things that you should do and certain things that you shouldn't do. First of all, you need to have some way of keeping warm. Now, you've got your your car. Your car is is, is a windproof shelter, albeit cold. So you need to find a way of keeping your car warm. What uh, a lot of people would do in prior preparation is they would use those little tea lights, those little tiny candles, uh, the, the, the round ones that look as though they're, they're almost sweets with a wick. Um, and just lighting one of those every now and again would just keep that internal temperature of the car up a bit. Splitting up was a bad move. The companion should never have gone for help. But you've got a good way of making a fire. If you were to take the bulb out of your uh, headlight, just crack the glass, take the glass off, put it back in. If you haven't got the lens on the front, then at least what you can do is you can turn the light on and you've got a bare wire, which is now super hot. It's white hot, which is how the light bulb works in the first place. With a bit of stuffing out of the seat, you've at least got a way of getting uh, your, your tinder alight to make a fire. It's almost pretty instant. Roger also mentioned about using a tire, maybe some oil as well, just to make the smoke black. You're in the middle of nowhere there. In reality, what happened with this was that there was a lady called Rita, and Rita was 49 days before she was found by hunters. How she survived is just a miracle. Um, For a person to survive for that long on her own, I mean, she must have gone crazy. In fact, it was Rita's husband that made that walk, and it was bad news for him. But psychologically, Rita got everything right. She kept a journal. She went for a walk. Uh, every day, she took some form of exercise. She is also, uh, um, from, from what I can gather, a bit of a, a spiritual person. So uh, she had that on her side as well. Um, but she was, she was so weak, and she'd sort of gone past hungry that she couldn't actually take any food. As far as survival tips for this is concerned, pack your car with the equipment you need for a, for a journey. It's really important that if you know you're going near snow, um, or sand for that matter, that you pack a shovel, as I've already mentioned, small candles for heat in a car, um, and some dehydrated food. One of the big things here is that Rita didn't leave a plan of her journey with a friend or someone trustworthy or even tell the hotel which route that they were taking. You need someone to raise an alarm. But for any journey through the wilderness, plan the route, stick to it. Uh, Never, never rely on anything electronic. Roger was talking about using the GPS. GPS is good, but maps are better. You guys, you you all love your computers and your consoles and what have you, but I have to say that when it comes to something electronic, it always, always lets you down when you most need it. A means to light a fire is is one of the things you should always have with you. Maybe even if you're going to somewhere like that, um, an emergency positioning beacon would be a, a good a good thing. But Roger, I've got to say, I, I would have given him eight out of ten for his answer. However, because he's got local knowledge, um, deduct him one point, so he's got seven. Sorry, Roger. A harsh taskmaster. Well, this is a harsh environment we're talking about, <laughs> so I think that's fair. Based on the answer that Roger gave, do you, do you think he'd have made it out alive? I think Roger would have done. He's already admitted to being a, um, a, a sort of 50-50 um, on his computer and outside type of a guy. 
I think Roger probably would, yes. Um, hence the uh, 7 out of 10. Brilliant. Thanks, Johnny. Please, could you read the second scenario? You are in Australia and are trekking west to Uluru, or Ayers Rock as it was. You set off with a rucksack and enough food to last you for seven days. Unseasonal storms flood the rivers on either side of you and the waters join behind you, blocking your return route. Your map is inadequate and you run out of food. What would you do? First of all, I would have um, planned trek better. You just said carrying a map, but um, one of the things that I, one of the things that I put down is that I would have carried a map and recorded my proximity to the nearby road. As the scenario says, I'm travelling west of Ayers Rock, and you'll notice that there's a there's a road sort of leading between Peterman to your, to a place called Yulara. Uh, so obviously, knowing how close to that I was would give me a path to nearby. As, as I say, it would be a long swim, but uh, shorter based on how quickly I could have determined determined the worsening situation. I could have packed accordingly. Those trekker bags are pretty big. I could have likely fit more than seven days' worth of food in there. And then sort of with the whole game reference and sort of personal experience, one of the things that Uncharted has taught me, it's unlikely that Nathan Drake would survive a lot a lot of the situations he's found <laughs> in without being partnered with somebody. So, uh, yeah, one of, the, one of the things that games have sort of taught me there is that never go alone. Always have somebody with you. That's... Well, that was it, really. <laughs> so you're... You're saying better preparation and don't go alone. Mm. Yeah. What about in the, the situation as it is, as you find yourself there, you are alone and you're not better prepared. What could you do? Well, that's it. Crisis is a crisis. Is a crisis. You've got to be prepared. Yeah, well, one, of the, one of the things was a flare gun because it's, because they're not obviously, obviously not too far from civilization. So that would draw the attention. A life jacket, but something sort of multi-purpose that would make it useful for things other than a flood while also being useful for a flood, if you know what I mean. Hmm. And uh, a flat pack boat, <laughs> sort of something <laughs> something that could be made really small, but is also a boat. So things you, would, things you would be packing for your track to a desert would be a flare gun, a life jacket, a flat pack boat. <laughs> yeah. You do pack for all eventualities. I, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. A, a boat could be useful on sand. So you're sand yachting. Hmm things that I sort of put down for um, for coping was uh, inherent things like um, if stealth games had taught me anything like Splinter Cell, Thief or Metal Gear Solid um, it's always important to keep calm especially when the situation becomes increasingly stressful so that would probably be priority number one staying calm. Another thing would be distraction. In The Last of Us as pressing as a matter of survival was Ellie still needed some escapism which she found in comic books. Depending on if the situation called for it it would be worth bringing a book if I need to distract you from the situation for a couple of minutes. And uh, rationing what limited supplies of food you have at your disposal. This is where the previous two things of remaining calm and distracting yourself could really show their importance. Easier said than done when the food supply only lowers as your hunger increases. But if nothing else is available food-wise, as this location seems to enforce, then it makes me think that it's a matter of endurance above all else. Okay, um, without wanting to sound like Desert Island Discs, which book would you take? Um, well, I'm I'm a big sort of fantasy fan, and obviously with the whole escapism thing, I wouldn't really want to be thinking. I wouldn't really want it to be if I was going to if I was sort of preparing for a situation just before I left. I was like, right, what situation am I going into? Then I'd probably take something fiction based, but something that wasn't based on the situation that I may find myself in. Moby Dick. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that probably 
I don't know, so we were in the middle of sand, so I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't be prepared for rain. But then I have got a boat and a life jacket, so maybe I am prepared for water. <laughs> so I fear you might die here. Yeah. But um, no, I'd probably, I'd probably take something like a, a, a murder mystery. You know that you're not going to find anybody in trilbies with Tommy guns walking around. I think it's a fair comment. <laughs> this is going to come out the worst of everybody's. I knew it. I knew it as soon as I read those words. There can be no wrong answer. I'm, I'm, I'm going to die in the desert. Dreadful. I am so going to die in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> that was Sev's tactics for dealing with his situation. Johnny, what, what did you make of that? Firstly, Sev, I've got to say uh, thank you very much for your contribution. I think it's brilliant. Um, if you could just leave uh, an address where we can send flowers, that would be great. Um, <laughs> I Do you know what? I've got a funny feeling that with Sev's attitude, I think he might just get out alive. But I wouldn't know how he did it. I don't think Sev would have known either. With his inflatable or, or um, was it, it was a flat pack boat uh, and, and, and several other bits of kit that he was taking with him, I don't think he would physically be able to pick it all up and move with it. But there is a certain something that Sev has, and that is sometimes if you go into something that you have no idea what it's about, people have a tendency to muddle through. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, the guy that this story is based on is a guy called Daniel. Uh, Daniel, I believe, was was Danish, and um, he was 26 years old, and he was one of those lone walking backpackers, and he wanted to walk solo from New South Wales to Uluru in the in the heart of Australia. Now he, you've got to bear in mind, this was in the Australian summer; it was in February, and he got he did get trapped between two flooded areas. Uh, he got completely lost. He had very little food with him, but to make matters worse, this guy was an insulin dependent diabetic. And so things were spiraling out of control. He had some baked beans and some cereal bars, but they didn't last long. Uh, this guy, Daniel, says that he kept himself going after his supplies were exhausted by eating flies. Now, that takes some doing. But I've got a funny feeling that Sev would do this, you know. I really think he might do. I think Sev would eat flies. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I think Sev is, is a fly eater. And uh, I don't know if, if this appears in any of these games that he plays. But I think uh, it's, well, it's not something I would recommend necessarily. If it's a matter of life and death, give it a go. There is one part of Daniel's uh, true story which I didn't mention. Because he, he was under the tree canopy for a lot of the time, he could see the helicopters, but the helicopters couldn't see him. Uh, but whilst he was, uh, he was asleep one night, he had to have a fight with an aggressive kangaroo. <laughs> and he uh, decided that the best way of doing this, now I think this would be a great idea for a game, uh, he, he jumped up and attacked it rather than let it attack him. So he started punching the living daylights out of this kangaroo, and he puts his, um, his success down to the fact that he was decisive in his attack. This guy, Daniel, was a bit of a one-off. He was also a homeless guy for a couple of years, but he, he, he looks at life differently to everybody else. And I think maybe... That is what saved him. Um, if he'd had better means of lighting fires, then he could at least have got the smoke out so the helicopters and the trucks and whatever else could have seen where he was. But uh, people don't carry those things that often. Um, one thing I have heard that you can do, um, I've tried it with little success, is to polish up the bottom of a Coke can. Uh, sometimes with a bit of chocolate, that's just uh, enough to give you a good polish. And you can use that to light a fire by using it as a parabolic reflector. But this, this guy, Daniel, he lived. He lived by eating flies, um, and all credit to him. And I think I think Sev 
despite his his um his his joking attitude towards it, I think he's got the thinking outside the box. I think he might have been all right. I'm not going to give him too many points. I I, I would have given him four, but because he's uh, he's 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 talking about Australia, I'm going to round that one up to a five actually. Sounds well done. Yeah, well done, sir. I have to say, Johnny, there's there's a game we want you to come and play now. It's called Metal Gear Solid Three Snake Eater. <laughs> I've never heard of it, but it sounds intriguing. I want to sit you down in front of it, make you play it, and record it. <laughs> it's a deal. Okay, Graham, Johnny's going to read your scenario. You are flying over the Amazon jungle when a freak lightning bolt hits your plane and tears it apart. You are strapped in your seat and fall two miles to the jungle below. The seat hits the canopy the right way up and breaks your fall. You hit the ground with concussion, a cut arm, a cut leg and a broken collarbone. You're in summer clothing and only have one shoe. You have no idea where you are or where help is. There is no sign of any wreckage from the plane. What do you do? Well, first and foremost, you, you need to uh, look at your positioning on, on the plane. Now, having survived such a terrifying fall, we've got to assume that uh, you're sat in the right place on the plane. Now, being a, a frequent flyer, I always make sure that I'm uh, sat somewhere in the centre of the plane, which uh, is usually the strongest part. If you stand any chance of survival, either a, a mid-air breakup uh, or a crashing into the ground, uh, the centre part of the plane is, is the place to hit. I'm assuming that uh, I've been conscious during this free-for-all. Having played such games as uh, Call of Duty and Battlefield, where you're often uh, dropped into places uh, using a parachute, it's, it's quite often good to look at your surroundings. So although you're hacking down at a frightening speed, I'd have hoped I'd have the foresight to actually have a quick look. So before I uh, hit the canopy of the trees, uh, I can maybe look at some reference points, whether it be smoke coming out of the uh, trees, whether it be sort of uh, areas of habitation, uh, waterways, things like that. But when I hit the floor, then you've got to do a sit rep. You've got to look at how, how you are and what you need to do. Now, it's always important to health up before you go charging into any other situation. So being the fact that you've got a, a broken collarbone, I'd use the uh, the seats and the, the seat belts to create a kind of sling for my arm, first of all. Uh, I'm hoping it's not an open fracture, otherwise I'd probably bleed to death. But let's uh, assume that it's not. I would then take care of my, my cuts. Now you've got a seat there. I'll take off some uh, some cloth from the seats, use those as a, as a bandage. I've also only got one shoe, so before you go delving into the jungle, you need to make sure that you're you're fully equipped. Like any first-person shooter, when you embark on the unknown, you make sure you're, you're tooled up, and that includes shoes. So I'd use the emergency card from the seat's pocket, probably behind me, uh, as the front seats in front of me uh, disappeared. Um, and I'd make sure that that was secure, again, with some more material from the, uh, the seat. I would also make sure that I've got uh, enough things going forward. So at the time, it's probably going to be quite a hot and humid sort of day, but uh, in the jungle at night time, it can get pretty cold. So I'd take cushions from the seat so they give me a bit of uh, insulation as uh, uh, when I need it. Now, hopefully the seat will have uh, protected my fall, but it might be in, uh, in, in in several pieces once it's landed. So I'd get some kind of sharp metal. The seat, uh, the armrests could be used as a club or to, to hack my way through the jungle. Uh, and any sharp bits of metal could obviously be used to cutting through things or, or, or even potentially catching food. Once I was ready, I would want to find the nearest waterway because water, as Bear Grylls has taught us all, is where people uh, tend to live and where you'll find sort of uh, areas of civilization, however, however small. So I would head off downhill, 
hopefully, if I was in a valley, I'd head towards the centre of the valley because that's where you're most likely to pick up a river or a stream. And even a small stream will go to a larger waterway eventually. So essentially, you're looking for the this this kind of the giver of life and that will also allow you to sustain yourself for some time but as I said it will also allow you to find people who could possibly give you some help to find your way out. Games like Far Cry 3 I've referenced in terms of my quest for uh, survival because both Far Cry 2 and Far Cry 3 put you in uh, areas where there's things like wild animals and things to avoid so you want to make sure that uh, any kind of uh, friends in the jungle that aren't human you avoid, especially ones that uh, could potentially uh, cause you some damage. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, be quiet as well. Stealth is also key. That's something which I'm not really a, a specialist in in games is, is being quiet. I tend to be more of the run screaming into a scenario and think about it later. But obviously, not to alert dangers. Um, you need to sort of be very quiet, make your way through the jungle. And as I said, pick up that waterway. Now, when you do find that waterway, chances are that um, it will be a flowing river. There's no point in trying to battle going upstream. So what you want to do is try and fashion some kind of raft. Now, at this point, I should have mentioned earlier that uh, along with the, the things that I've taken with me is potentially more seatbelts from uh, the other seats. Seats tend to be at least uh, in blocks of two. I deduced that I fell from an airliner rather than a small light aircraft, being that I, I, I fell for two miles. Um, so I'd have other bits of, of way of strapping together branches to make a raft. With the bits of metal that I've uh, got from the seat, I could potentially cut more material from the forest to, to lash these logs together, uh, and then I'd make my way down downstream. But you've got to be careful of fast-flowing water, because as we saw in uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, fast-flowing water uh, and rocks really do you some serious damage so you've got to take it nice and steady and then eventually you should come across a settlement of some description they can at least give you medical assistance first of all but then maybe they've got a vehicle or a radio which you can find your way out of the jungle with again that sounds like another excellent survival tactic uh, do you think it's always best to head off trying to extract yourself or is there any way that you could attract attention when you're in the middle of the Amazon jungle, you're not going to get a distress signal up above the canopy, and even if you do, no one's really going to be able to see you. Depending on how long it takes you to find your way out, obviously, sort of making fire is, is also important. I think more so for protection than for giving your, your location. My instinct would always be to uh, try and find your own way out, but, but then again, it's uh, this is what I'm like. I'm more about getting out of that situation proactively rather than sort of waiting for, for someone else to come and pull you out. Okay, and given that it could take you a couple of days to get out of that situation by just following the river, any water sources that you have downstream, what could you do for shelter or warmth? Well, warmth I mentioned with uh, taking the cushions out of the seats to give you extra insulation. Um, shelters, you would obviously uh, try and use the wood that you have within the forest uh, if you have been able to fashion some instruments from the uh, the bits of metal from your seats then obviously you can use logs and natural sort of uh, cover and shade that you can get from the forest. What did you make of it Johnny? Right, Graham has thought this one through I liked Graham's answer his, his answer was very similar to what actually happened 
Um, the way that he was, he, he was he was thinking about what else he would get from the crash. That there are some things that probably may not have worked. For example, when Graham was talking about uh, using the the seatbelt to to do whatever, the seatbelt actually is an incredibly difficult piece of kit to remove from a seat. Just by definition, it's bolted on pretty securely. He's he's also thought very carefully about his uh, as as the Americans might call it his exfiltration. But he's 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 thought about how he's going to get out. He's thought about water courses, which is um, that's textbook stuff. That's very very good. Now this happened to a young girl. This is going back to Christmas Eve, nineteen seventy one. The true story is that she was flying from Peru. She was going to to a remote airstrip in the middle of the Amazon. Um, she was seventeen. She was called Julianne. Uh, so a 17-year-old girl, she was flying next to her mother. She was in a single seat. Um, so I know that uh, the Graham was talking about being in you know, seats in some groups of three or groups of two or whatever, uh, but she was in a single seat. All of the crew and all of the passengers died except for 17-year-old Julianne. The plane had all but disintegrated two miles above the rainforest. It wasn't a jetliner. It was a, a small sort of Cessna-type aircraft. And she she, uh, she lost consciousness and woke up the following day on the forest floor, still bolted into her seat um, with the injuries that we've mentioned, a broken collarbone, cuts to her arm and leg, and a bit of concussion. It was only then that she realised that her problems had just started. The jungle with its canopy had broken her fall, um, but she was now in, a, some may say, an even more hostile environment. Now, Graham mentioned about sort of uh, dangerous animals and things. And to be quite fair, there's not a huge amount that you can do other than keep your eyes and ears open. She was there for 10 days. She came out on the 3rd of January 1972, um, where she was found by three forest workers. Now, she was in a thin cotton summer dress and was only wearing one white sandal. But she was under the impression that one sandal was better than uh, better than none. There's no documentary evidence that she actually improvised another shoe, but I like, I, I really like Graham's idea about using the uh, the sick bag or, or the, the, the magazine that was behind. I'm not sure, how, um, not sure how long that would have lasted for, but I like his thinking there. It's really positive. And that's what, uh, what ties all these three things together is the fact that everybody was really, really positive. Now, um, she knew that she could do nothing about her injuries, but... She knew a little bit about the Amazon and she knew that small streams led to big rivers and big rivers have people. She was worried about piranhas, quite rightly so, but she'd heard somewhere that piranhas usually only attack in shallow water. So she swam in the middle of the river. I can't understand how brave this girl was. I mean, 17 years old and she's swimming in the middle of a piranha infested river and she's decided to do that. Um, she heard a bird call, as a bird called the Hotsin. H-O-A-T-Z-I-N. Uh, please excuse my pronunciation on that. Um, but these birds only live on big rivers. So the the uh, stream that she was swimming down, she abandoned and she headed across country to the sound of the birds. And um, she was right. She found the big river. Then she followed the big river downstream until she came to a, a, a logging cabin. Absolutely brilliant. The luckiest person ever. Um, I, I wish she'd been able to pick my lottery ticket. Not only did she survive a two-mile drop, but she, she also didn't do something that you're meant to do, and that is to stick with the wreckage, because it's easier to spot a, uh, the wreckage of a plane than it is to, uh, to spot a lone person under the canopy of the jungle. But she took it upon herself to, she made a plan. And that's what I really like. She made the plan and she stuck with it. Um, she was on her own. Um, she had, in fact, seen some bodies of other people, which I think must have um, really messed her up a bit. 
she was at the time incredibly, incredibly mentally strong. She's still uh, she's still around and about and 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 doing well. But that must have been the most horrendous ordeal I could possibly imagine. Graham picked up on the most important bits there. I think Graham, because he were um, because it's not his natural environment. I'm going to give him the extra points, which I think takes him up to a nine. I'm just properly impressed. Wow. Okay, so while Graham patched himself up, fashioned some insulation and a crude weapon from the aircraft seat and stealthily set off to follow a water source downstream to civilization, he learned from Call of Duty that you should health up and then tool up to survive, even if it is a shoe made from a laminated piece of card. He also learned from Far Cry 3 to avoid bears and tigers. Graham most probably would have survived. Roger made an inventory, cleared the snow away from his exhaust pipe and used the resources available to him in his snowbound car to provide warmth and a signal to would-be rescuers. Roger's platinum trophies from Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas taught him to prepare and survive. Roger would have survived. In the future, Sev will always carry a flare gun, a life jacket and a flat pack boat. Splinter Cell, Thief and Metal Gear Solid taught Sev to stay calm in a crisis and The Last of Us taught him that you should always pack a good book. Unbelievably, Sev also probably would survive. What would you have done to survive these scenarios? You can find them again at codecmoments.com and you can tweet us your survival plan to at codecmoments, hashtag survival school. You can also contact us at facebook.com forward slash codecmoments or plus codecmoments on Google Plus if you like that sort of thing. Thanks to Johnny Crockett, our expert from the survival school. Don't forget you can find him on Twitter, at Survival Courses, and please check out their website at survivalschool.co.uk or find them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the survival school. Brilliant. Do you know what? I really enjoyed that. If I can ever do anything like that again, give us a shout. <laughs> That's great. Uh, is there anything else you want to add there, Johnny? Um, yeah, I, I, I would just like to say that the gaming scene and survival do have a massive, massive overlap. I'm not massively familiar with a lot of the games that people play, but I do understand that they are incorporated. And what I do think is that the bottom line is that if you play these sort of things, it's a little bit like watching Ray Mears or Bear Grylls. If you watch these things, you pick up a few hints and tips, and I believe that those can be lifesavers. Brilliant. Thank you. The Kodak Call is a Kodak Moments production. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>